Welcome to Fraser Basin Council's First Nations Home Energy Save podcast. I'm your host, Darla Simpson, coming to you from beautiful North Vancouver, British Columbia, traditional Squamish territory. This podcast is all about supporting BC First Nations to provide safe, comfortable, and energy efficient housing in your communities. Through this series, we'll explore important ideas around energy efficiency, how different technologies actually work, as well as tips and tools to help you make your home sit lightly on the earth. In our first podcast, we'll be talking about the idea of buildings as a system. Uh, today, our guest is Stefan Trangolid. He's a senior engineer with SES Consulting. Welcome, Stefan. Hi, Dawa. Good morning. Thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to talk about this subject with you. Our pleasure. We're really excited to hear what you have to share with us today. So uh, housing, houses as a system... Houses exist for people, obviously, to take care of people. Uh, they provide protection from the elements, heating, cooling, ventilation. They have a lot of work to do, um, providing light, safety, but it's also a connection. It's a place for family. That's really the purpose of homes. Um, and that's a big part of this series that we're trying to focus on is ways to provide these services of homes in the most functional and cost-effective way with the least impact on our natural environment. Um, which includes thinking about carbon emissions, but primarily it has to be safe, healthy, and a comfortable place uh, for people to live. So how does energy efficiency help to achieve the goals of housing and comfort? When done correctly, there are a lot of co-benefits to be had with an energy efficient home. Upgrades to this goal often add moisture management, thermal comfort, air quality for our health, and reduced equipment use, which helps that equipment to last longer. Because reliability of, of the home is also really an important function uh, to meeting those objectives that you mentioned. Plus, it saves dollars on your utility bills, which is important for everyone. And of course, being energy efficient can help reduce your environmental impact, which I think is a growing priority for everyone nowadays. It's one of those rare situations where investing in something new or a new idea actually has lots of other wins that come with it. Um, so today's focus is buildings as a system. And what do we mean by buildings as a system? Why is this, like, what is the concept that we're trying to explore? Well, I think it's worth recognizing that there are many components of a building or a home and how they all work together to accomplish uh, the desired function. Um, so we can sort of break down the home into a few different areas. Um, different disciplines don't exist in isolation. Um, so... They, they, all, they all mesh together to, to perform the function. Um, if you'll allow me to make an analogy, it's kind of like an animal. So you have the skeleton of the animal, which would be the, the structural frame of, of the building. That might be the floor slab, the beams that hold up the walls, the columns, and even the, the type of space use is, is, a lot of, is largely defined by that structural uh, frame as well. And then the skin of the animal would be the envelope, we call it, which includes the entire perimeter of the building, including the cladding on the outside, the insulation in the walls, the doors, the windows, the roof, and how that all sits together. And then you've got the, the energy moving system or the circulatory system of the building, which would be the HVAC component, right? The heating, the ventilation, and the air conditioning. And finally, the electrical system I think is akin to the nervous system. That's your electrical loads and your lighting uh, that play a really important role in, in how you interact with the building as well. 
Um, finally, there's the location and the site or the environment of the animal, if you will. Uh, it's, it's the condition that it exists in, and it's very influenced by external factors such as the climate. So that makes sense. Um, you know, all of these systems, I guess, exist together. They, they influence each other. Um, but there are things in that list I can't control. I can't control the climate. I, I don't necessarily have a lot of control over siting. Um, you know, if I've got an older building, I don't have much control at all <laughs> in terms of the structure. Um, you know, why do I need to be thinking about this as a housing manager? Yeah, well, I think for two main reasons. Um, of course, you can't control the climate, but you can be aware of what climate that you have for the particular application that you're looking at. So, for example, the, the new BC Step Code identifies six individual climate zones for the entire region of, of British Columbia. And this is sort of like a geographical mapping of, of the typical weather conditions that these zones see. And it's really important to understand that uh, a decision that might be optimal for one building in one climate zone may not be optimal for a different building in a different climate zone. So you might make a different decision or a different evaluation on the type of heating system that you want. And this is a complaint that I think we see a lot where systems that are designed for the lower mainland, which has a fairly moderate climate, maybe get exported into the interior or up north where, you know, the climate is a lot, there's a more variation in the climate, certainly much colder, and they just don't hold up the same way. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And that, that affects a lot of different systems, right? It, it might affect how the envelope is built on a building uh, in a new construction. It might affect the, the type of um, kind of weather stripping that you might need. And, and certainly the heating system, it can influence the decision on, on the type of heating system that you have. The, the amount of heat or the amount of cooling that you need to provide to keep the space comfortable. Is that kind of? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, we have different amounts of influence on the different systems of the building. The, the siting of the building, we can't change once it's built, right? Like that's where it is and which way it's facing. Uh, you might be able to do some, some you know, landscape things or um, add, adding, you know, window covers or things like that. But there's not a lot that you can do to affect the overall siting. Structural is almost in the same boat. It's very rare that we make a change to the structure of a building. The envelope is kind of where we see the more expensive long-term changes being made, maybe like once or twice in the entire um, lifetime of the building. They tend to be more expensive, but, but can often be very valuable as well. The HVAC system is something that we can definitely change. Again, it's on a cyclical period. We can't go out and make changes to this every day, but we do have opportunities during the course of our ownership of the building. And then the electrical system is the most readily influenced category, I would say. So there's sort of a hierarchy to the different systems that we have the ability to influence. And it, it's worth, you know, sort of understanding um, the, the different factors within there so we can make decisions about how to, how to spend our investments for these buildings. And I guess how those decisions interact over time as well. When, uh, when we started moving from incandescent lights, those like old school Edison light bulbs, to compact fluorescents, one of the unintended consequences was those lights were providing a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. So where you had an inadequate heating system, those lights were actually supplementing the heat. Super inefficient, but that small change led to kind of other knock-on impacts. So 
I guess that's part of what the building of a system or the, the house as a system is that we want to explore today as well. Absolutely. That's a great example of an interactive effect between these different subcomponents, right? Because you were mentioning lighting, which is part of that electrical category, and how your decision to change that influenced the HVAC, right? The heating of the building. So there wasn't a clear connection when you maybe started that project, but then when you did it, you noticed the effect that one system had on the other. And that's why we need to learn about these things so that we can predict the outcomes of the decisions we make for the maintenance of our homes. So you've, you've described houses, a system is this, like a building, you've got the skeleton, your skin, the circulatory system, the electrical or nervous system. Um, so let's break that down then. Once you understand that your location is citing the environment that your house is in and what kind of services it has to provide because of that, um, the climate you're building for, I guess, um, the next system is structural. Uh, so the the skeleton of the building, um, that's how the house is designed, how the rooms are laid out. How does that impact energy efficiency? In in a few ways, really. In general, the physical size is a factor. The bigger the space is, the more energy it will typically use. That's that's sort of intuitive, right? The form of the building is also uh, an an impact. The more surface area that it has the more heat loss there is. So the ideal shape is actually a cubic form, but that's not that's not typically like the type of building that we want to live in. It's not very uh, aesthetically pleasing or maybe practical um, as we divide up the rooms. Um, the density of the building, like how many people are inside there and how much uh, equipment or shared space is inside there uh, also really affects the, the energy performance of the building because these things are all sort of, we call them internal heat gains, where people uh, actually emit heat and aim to warm that space. So if you have a very large space with very few people, it's going to feel a lot colder. Um, the design and the location of the windows is really important as well, uh, just in terms of where the sun is in your region, how high it is in the sky in the different seasons, and um, what kind of shading or, or awning that you have over that windows if any. The materials also play a role in, and they have different qualities of how much they absorb and radiate heat. Uh, and they also have different values of embedded carbon, if that's something that you're interested in. And then finally, the interior design, such as like the blinds and the shades, or even the carpets or, or, the, or the landscaping, these all have little subtle effects on on how the energy performance of the building is going to be in terms of managing the sunlight, letting it in when you want it to, and and blocking it when you don't want it to when it's a hot summer day. So the physical size of the building makes sense to me. The form, I get it. Nobody wants to live in a cube. Mm-hmm. Or or another way to think about it is you know where you have shared walls. So yeah. duplexes, triplexes, or multifamily housing, they're typically more energy efficient because you're only heating two or three walls instead of all four? Yeah, absolutely. You actually lose about uh, 40% of your overall heat through the walls. So you can imagine if you share one of those four walls of your building, that's a quarter of that that you're basically not losing. So that's a pretty substantial impact. So, uh, and so density, density, we're really talking about the amount of people. A weird fact, each person emits about 200 BTUs of energy an hour. 
So <laughs> people will heat up the space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can feel that if you're ever, you know, stuck in a small conference room for some reason, or when you have a big family gathering and there's just a whole bunch of people in your living room, it gets hot, right? Everybody, everybody notes that. This is interesting. It's, it's very much in the design phase then. It's it, pretty much new construction. That's the only time you can influence this. Well, I, I would circle back to that hierarchy that I, that I mentioned with the siting, then the structural, then the envelope, then the HVAC, then the electrical. In a new construction scenario, if you have the influence of, of how the building is built, where it's built, and how it's designed, then you might have power over to influence all of those factors. But... The bottom three, we also are able to influence in an existing building. And actually, that's where I do most of my work personally is on existing homes. And we look at ways that we can retrofit in, in financially sensible ways to provide all of the co-benefits that we started out this discussion with. So it's definitely not just applicable to new construction. I would say that for most folks, it's going to be really relevant to their existing homes. So that's the structure of a building. Uh, moving down a level, what about the building envelope, the skin of the building? Well, the skin is really, it's your barrier between the heated and unheated spaces. Uh, and certainly when it's cold out, that, that could be flipped in the, in the summertime as well. It really protects you from the elements. Insulation is a really big component of that, of course. I mentioned earlier that the walls, you lose about 40% of your heat through, and it's about 15% through the floor, 30% through the roof and 15% through the, the ventilation and uh, unintentional airflow through the building. So that's mostly then influenced through new construction and uh, pretty significant retrofits. I mean, you can do blown-in insulation, you can do attic insulation, but it's, it's, it's a bit more onerous and it can be expensive. Exactly. And we don't expect to see that multiple times through the building's life. But often when buildings reach around the 50-year mark, uh, owners or managers might look at how these these envelope characteristics need to be renewed just to be maintained and keep protecting it from the elements. And that often involves adding uh, a new layer of insulation to it as well. And then in terms of the maintenance piece, I know when we're talking about building envelope, we do um, a lot of work around um, like air sealing and, and air tightness. So how does that how does that interact with the envelope or what what's the relationship there? Air tightness is another really important quality of the of the envelope and it's some it's something that the envelope that is expected to perform. Um, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but air comes in and out of your building and all these little cracks and seams and crevices around the constructed envelope of the building. So when one type of wall panel needs a different type of wall panel, there might be an opportunity for air to come in and out of there. And the different temperatures that we keep our home in, as well as the different functions that we do in the home, creates these pressure differences and it creates an incentive for air to move back and forth. And sometimes this can have a positive effect. Sometimes this can have a negative effect with, with how much heat that you need to, to overcome all the cold air that's coming in. You might be bringing in moisture 
into the building and that moisture might be getting trapped inside of the walls, which can create mold and other issues. So that's, that's why there's a renewed emphasis on air tightness nowadays. So that kind of gets down into the HVAC systems and that's, um, you know, old buildings, super drafty, not airtight, moisture generally less of an issue, <laughs> modern buildings, super airtight, but now you've got moisture buildup from the people in the space. Um, so tell us a bit more about the HVAC systems and how they relate to building as a system, but also energy efficiency. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because this is really the area that we have the most control over. And these systems also don't last as long as the structure or the envelope of the building. So they need to be replaced every, every so many years. And when that time comes around, it's an opportunity to make new decisions on the type of HVAC system that we use. Uh, but let's just step one take one step back for a moment and define HVAC as heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So we're concerned with the air movement, the heat that comes into the space, and any cooling that happens in the space as well. Um, I, I can break that down a little further. If we start with heating, there's a lot of different ways that we can heat the buildings, right? You can have electric floorboards, you can have a boiler in the basement, which circulates water to hydronic floorboards. There might be a gas-fired furnace in the building that, that moves warm air around. Um, you could have heat pumps. Uh, there's a few different technologies for that. And there's a few different fuel sources that we use as well, right? Propane, natural gas, um, fuel oil, electricity, all different heat sources. Or super old school wood. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, still common as a backup system, yeah? No, of course, yeah. Yeah, and different types of wood-fired systems as well. We also see these as combined systems too, right? Like heating and hot water together? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no strict rule about what technologies that you can combine and can't combine. We have the, the thermal comfort, which is really important. And then there's the, we call it the domestic hot water or the, the tap water that you need to heat up as well. That might be the same system or it might be a different system. So I can tell that HVAC is your specialty, Stefan. Uh, we're actually going to do two podcasts just on HVAC systems, one heating and hot water, one ventilation and cooling. Getting down to the smallest system, the, the low-hanging fruit system, um, electrical. Uh, how does that relate to buildings as a system? Well, this is the category that is most readily influenced and usually costs the least amount to influence as well. And that includes things such as the appliances that are in the building. Um, you know, obviously some appliances are more energy efficient than others. They might have certain energy star ratings. Uh, we're always adding more electronics in, in this day and age. Everything is becoming electrified and, and connected. So just recognizing that the more things that we plug into the wall are going to consume. Uh, the lighting is a really important system. And uh, it makes a really big difference what type of lighting that you have and how much you're leaving it on. Uh, there's also automation, which is you know somewhat new to some buildings, but actually even just your classic uh, programmable thermostat, you know, if you have like a Monday to Friday kind of scheduled thermostat, that's a type of automation. And this uh, technology is getting fancier and fancier all the time. 
with a lot of new constructed homes having some more sophisticated kind of computer interfaces which are controlling the HVAC system and the lighting and other elements, uh, including security perhaps. And then, you know, we're, we're starting to think about the, the transportation element and, and how electric vehicles might play a role in our homes as well. This sounds like it's starting to cross over to the area that I work in a lot, which is people, the people part of the building. And a lot of these housing managers might control things like the major home appliances, um, but it's really the residents that have control over, you know, what electronics or what kinds of smaller equipment might be in there, how often the lights are left on. Um, so this kind of gets into some of the behavioral pieces as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that electronics component is is probably most driven by by the residents or the occupants, the daily folks in the building. Excellent. So we will actually do a couple of podcasts on this as well. We'll get into some of the the opportunities to influence energy through behavior, but also how to get people engaged in that, how to talk to them about it in a way that, uh, that makes sense to them and, and it's easy to act on. So really interesting. Buildings as a system, I get that it's important to understand all the different interactions in a building, but really practically, I'm a housing manager. Why should I care? <laughs> why, you know, why should this occupy space in my mind? Sure. Well, housing managers are going to be responsible for making decisions on homes. And just like your your example that you had earlier on about the decision to convert from incandescent bulbs to LEDs, it had that knock-on effect to a, to a different system. And that's why it's important for housing managers to understand how these different systems or components of the building, how they interact together, and how one decision might influence another decision. If housing managers are interested in managing the energy that's consumed in the building, whether that's to lower the utility rate or to find opportunities to lower the environmental impact, you're going to need to understand where that energy is going in the home to begin with. Uh, I have a I'll throw a quick statistic at you that 50% of the energy in a home typically goes towards heating it, right? So space heating for thermal comfort, about 25% of it goes towards your, your domestic hot water, right? So that's what you get at the tap. And then about 20% uh, goes to your appliances and electronics and 5% to your lighting and 1% for your cooling. And that's about a, an aggregate because the 1% really reflects a lot of buildings that don't have any cooling at all, and then some buildings that actually use a fair bit of energy and cooling. Uh, so I find that can be a misleading statistic a little bit, uh, because buildings that do have cooling can, can use a fair bit of energy on that. And even though uh, you know only 50% of your energy comes from um, your heating source, the heating and the hot water usually contribute between between 80 and 90% of the greenhouse gas emissions, right? So the amount of environmental footprint that your building is, is responsible for, it's all coming from that, that fossil fuel combustion. So that I think is an important concept to understand that energy is not quite the same as uh, environmental impact. The two have different factors depending on the energy source. As a housing manager, I can see comfort um, from kind of more robust systems or better scaled systems, um, safety, I guess, you know, especially from the air quality and the moisture management side, uh, the safety of the space, um, and the health. Absolutely. Um, 
I guess affordability is a feature of this too, like keeping costs low, especially where residents are paying the utility costs. That's a that's a major feature of affordability of these homes. And then, you know, if we all also want to do good things for the environment. So depending on the hierarchy of those things, you, you would make a different set of decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned cost because it really is always a driving factor in in the opportunities that we have available to us and and the decisions that we can make. If money was no object at all, perhaps you could just build a new super duper home that was incredibly well insulated and energy efficient. Uh, that's not a reasonable expectation. You know, knowing that most of our housing stock is already built, we're not going to be able to, you know, build new for all of this. What are the opportunities in renovation? Like, how can we influence this in the building stock we already have? I think substantially. We can influence it substantially. And I'll circle back to the heating systems use the most amount of energy and contribute the most amount of greenhouse gases from a building. And heating systems, depending on the system, of course, but it might last, let's just say, 25 years, right? You might be expecting your home to last 50, maybe 100 years. I've spent some time living in a 100-year-old home, 111 years, actually, uh, I know that they can last that long, and that heating system was replaced several times. And it, at each time that we replace the, that system, we have an opportunity to make a change. So we're, we're always influencing the building just like it is influencing our lifestyles. Thinking through when different systems need to be repaired or replaced, what they, we call it like the effect of lifetime of those systems. So like hot water systems, maybe seven to 10 years. Heating systems, it's, it's in the 20, 25-year zone. What about uh, building envelope? Well, there's no fixed number for this, but we, we often like to think of it as around a 50-year mark. But that doesn't apply to things like the sealants and the... No, absolutely not. That's on a much shorter timeline. Absolutely. There's always going to be some continued maintenance, essentially, uh, regarding maintaining the exterior of your building and managing the, the gaps uh, that the air can, can seep in, or water for that matter. It strikes me that a big feature of this is maintenance as well. Like the better maintained your systems are, the more efficient they're going to be, the longer they're going to last, which means effectively it's going to cost you less if you don't have to replace them as often. Um, so the maintenance factor I can see is a big piece of, of healthy homes. I think we're trying to add a different consideration to the maintenance by by teaching folks about this energy efficiency um, material. For example, if you had uh, a door and it lets in air from the bottom, but it's not letting in any water, you're not really getting a lot of snow in in the winter, you might think that that's not a problematic area, that that doesn't need to be maintained because you're not getting water damage through that door. Uh, it's just a little bit of a cold breeze, right? But when you add up that cold breeze all night, all month, all season, it really starts to play an impact in how your building performs. It, it affects how comfortable it is and it affects how much energy that you're going to use in the wintertime to warm up that space. And the numbers can be really uh, striking. So bringing in the climate change perspective, the province, of course, has set GHG reduction targets. Um, the the big goal is an 80% reduction of 2007 emissions by 2050. 
We're coming up on 2030 already, where we are supposed to have reduced our emissions by 40%. Um, if our housing stock is renewing, or effectively renewed, renovated, every 50 years, what we're building now is going to directly affect our ability to reach those targets and avoid the worst impacts of climate change. Um, so what are we seeing in the housing market to, to kind of help achieve some of these GHG reduction objectives? Yes, like, like you said, the province has declared this a priority and has, has shown as such with the proactive incentive programs that it's created, like the Clean BC program, which is provincially funded, and partnering with utility companies to administer some of these uh, incentive programs as well. We've also recently heard an announcement from the federal government of a large dollar value of funding secured for the green economy. We don't know exactly what that'll look like yet, but we're uh, anticipating that there will definitely be a component for, for building efficiency in there. And it's also important to understand that energy efficiency is not the same as low carbon. It really depends on what your source of energy is as the different sources have different carbon intensities associated with it. So they often go hand in hand, but they're definitely not the same things. And I think that's one of the themes that we're gonna circle back to multiple times in this podcast series. Well, I guess, so Clean BC is, is a great source where they've kind of consolidated a lot of those provincial incentives, at least. So the, from Hydro and Fortis and, and the provincial incentives um, to try and help navigate. Because there's, there's quite a lot of incentives out there right now. Definitely. It can be challenging to understand all your options. And especially when you get down to the systems level, it's like, does this apply to my specific situation? <laughs> Well, and I guess it helps to make the financial case for some of these renovations, especially if energy efficiency is going to cost a small amount more. Those incentives can then help to pay for that small additional cost that's actually going to bring so many more co-benefits, including housing affordability, lower costs, comfort, all the things we've talked about today. That's right. And a really common term that you'll see in, in these incentive programs is the word incremental cost. And it's, it's meant to reflect uh, the additional cost that a better system would cost you. Say you're replacing your heating system, what would the standard uh, sort of low efficiency design cost? And what would the improved equipment cost? And that difference is what they call the incremental cost. And most of these programs aim to cover either the whole of that or the part of that. And many of these programs, I think, have uh, added top-up incentives or or um, incentive programs specifically for BC First Nations, which is which is really good to see as well. So that's really one of the themes I think we'll be exploring over this series as well is, you know, that those three different ways of looking at uh, decisions in our housing. So there's the energy efficiency piece, the low energy, the affordability piece, um, lowering our GHG emissions. So less energy, less carbon intensive fuel sources. Um, but then the financial drivers, like what can we actually afford to invest in right now, knowing that it will create benefits, including utility cost savings down the road. 
So those, those three different lenses. So this has been excellent. Um, I really feel like I have a better understanding of buildings as a system, all the different systems and kind of how you can pull on one thread and it, it might influence or cascade down into other systems. So big thanks for that, Stefan, for uh, walking us through that today. Thank you for having me, Dara. It's it's a really interesting uh, subject to talk about. And uh, I really look forward to diving in a little deeper into each of these subjects. It's almost a little hard to talk about it at such a big picture. Uh, I think it's going to make a lot more sense once we can discuss some of the details, right? We talked a lot about different decisions that people can make and different types of investments and programs. And uh, I look forward to un unpacking those in the subsequent podcasts. So thanks again. to have more conversations like this um, and a big thank you to our listeners for taking the time in your day to learn more about buildings as a system and why it's important um, we hope you found this helpful and perhaps have a few new ideas to bring to your work thank you again take care in our next episode we'll be talking about how to make the financial case for energy efficiency for more information on the first nations home energy save program or to download the next podcast in this series please visit Fraser Basin Council's webpage, where you'll also find companion resources for this podcast with visuals and links to incentive programs and resources available to Indigenous communities in British Columbia. This podcast has been developed by SES Consulting as part of Fraser Basin Council's First Nations Home Energy Safe program. The program is sponsored by the province of British Columbia, BC Hydro, Fortis BC, and the Real Estate Foundation of BC. Production by Aaron Trazo of Bird Media.